The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From the opinion pages of The Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch. Can states tell Facebook and other social sites which posts to take down and which ones to leave up? The Supreme Court hears nearly four hours of arguments on that question. Welcome, I'm Kyle Peterson with The Wall Street Journal. We are joined today by my colleagues, columnists Alicia Finley and Kim Strassel. The marathon arguments Monday at the Supreme Court involved two cases, Moody versus NetChoice and NetChoice versus Paxton, one of which involves a challenge to an internet regulation law passed by the state of Florida and the other by the state of Texas. So Alicia, maybe the best place to start is, could you give us a sense of why Texas and Florida passed these laws and what they aim to do? So two different laws, they have some commonalities, but basically the Florida law bans social media platforms from removing the accounts of political candidates for office, I mean, this could be very local offices or it could be national offices or suppressing or censoring any posts by or about them. It would also prohibit platforms from taking any action to censor, deplatform or shadow ban a journalistic enterprise based on the content of its publication or broadcast. And it goes into detail to how it defines journalistic enterprise. So it would be larger outfits, but could potentially rope in some sub stacks, potentially with large numbers of subscribers. It wouldn't merely just apply for social media platforms. And that was an issue that came up during the oral arguments. It could potentially apply much more broadly to other kinds of online platforms like Uber and Etsy to the extent that they host comments. In any case, the law would also require the platforms to apply their standards in a quote-unquote consistent manner among their users. I mean, that's the broad brushstroke of what the Florida law would require. The Texas law, on the other hand, in some ways it's more narrow, in some ways it's actually more broad. So it's a little more narrow in that it couldn't be read to rope in the Uber or Etsy or even just plain old regular Gmail but it would ban all editorial decisions based on a viewpoint of a user's expression. And again, what that means isn't really clearly defined in the law. The law is also it would require the platforms to explain in detail why posts are being removed and provide some kind of appeals process. Both laws would threaten the companies with penalties and potential uh, lawsuits. They create a private right of action which would allow private individuals, users to sue companies if they violate the law or their rights under the law. The big argument on Monday was whether what these social media sites are engaged in is First Amendment protected speech or whether it is some kind of other business conduct. And let's listen to the justices grappling with that. First here is Justice Brett Kavanaugh asking a question of Henry Whitaker, the Solicitor General of Florida, followed by Justice Samuel Alito tangling with Paul Clement representing Net Choice. And these are both from the Florida oral argument. Does the government apply such a policy to publishing houses and printing presses and movie theaters um, about what they show, bookstores, newsstands? In other words, be consistent in what kinds of uh, content you exclude. Could that be done? I I don't think so, Your Honor. why not? Well, well, I think that there is is the the consumer... Here, the the social media platforms, their terms of service, 
their content moderation policies are really part of the terms under which they are offering their service to users. I don't think that that really, that, that paradigm really fits in what Your Honor is, is talking about. Uh, so, but, but, I, but look, we agree, we certainly agree that a newspaper, a book and a bookstore, is engaging in inherently expressive conduct. And our whole point is that these social media platforms are not like those. There's a lot of new terminology bouncing around in these cases, and just out of curiosity, uh, and one of them is content moderation. Uh, could you define that for me? So, you know, look, content moderation to me is just editorial discretion. It's a way to take the, 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 all of the content that is potentially posted on the site, exercise editorial discretion in order to make it less offensive to users and advertisers. Is it, is it anything more than a euphemism for censorship? I want to just ask you this. If somebody in 1917 was prosecuted and thrown in jail for opposing U.S. participation in World War I, was that content moderation? So if the government's doing it, then content moderation might be a euphemism for censorship. If a private party is doing it, content moderation is a euphemism for editorial discretion. And there's a fundamental difference between the two. Kim, part of the difficulty here is that these huge social sites are a new phenomenon with the internet. And so you heard Justice Kavanaugh drawing analogies to a bookstore and saying that it's pretty clear that the government can't come in and tell a bookstore how to make its selection of materials and make some sort of law that says they have to do that in a quote-unquote consistent manner. And you have others, including Justice Alito, who don't seem to think that analogy fits. And this came up a number of times and in a number of different fashions. Another example of this was we all tend to have in our head a pretty good idea of what counts as a social media site. But some of the justices noted that there are a lot of other online entities or businesses that rely on an online platform to do the work and services that they provide people. And how difficult or easy would it be to categorize some of those in the same realm so that this law applied to them? So, for instance, Google search, that's not necessarily people posting stuff. But if you put in a certain search term and you only get the top things as defined by Google's algorithm, and so it is essentially deep sixing some sites that you might want to see, could that be considered a form of content moderation and or censorship? Or what about Uber, for instance? One of the justices asked, could this law in the end somehow bar certain Uber drivers from picking up different people based on their political affiliations, etc.? It kind of went down a rabbit hole, but I think it gets to your point that this is a very, very difficult area to define. We can talk a little bit about how the states are trying to define this. They're trying to suggest that these groups are what you would call common carriers, so telephone lines, et cetera. I don't think that analogy fits either. One quick point, though, on the censorship versus content moderation. Let me say up front, I appreciate how frustrated conservatives are at big tech and their content moderation, which obviously is often geared against conservatives. But this point about how censorship is normally a term that is directed at government control of information, I think is very, very important important and will play a big role in the ultimate decision made by the court. Because this is something that I think this term is getting 
thrown around way too often in a ways conservatives ought to stop and think that they don't like. For instance, I just had a debate with my daughter the other day. She was saying that the school library was censoring certain books. And I was pointing out, no, they were curating certain books, making sure that kids weren't getting a hold of, for instance, pornographic material when they were in grade school, but that censorship is something we normally apply to government. Hang tight. We'll be right back with more on this in a moment. AI may be the most important new computer technology ever, but AI needs a lot of processing speed, and that gets expensive fast. Upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is the single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. Do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic. Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash wallstreet, oracle.com slash wallstreet. Welcome back. Alicia, what do you make of this argument on the common carrier, the idea that these social sites are kind of infrastructure-like, like the telephone company or the utility company, and they shouldn't be able to make distinctions on the kind of information that they carry. And the other piece of fodder I would throw in here is, to my eye, the platforms have not helped themselves in how they have presented themselves to the public, because sometimes for tactical reasons or because of Silicon Valley idealism, they said that they are just platforms. They're just here to connect people. They don't want to be in the publishing business. But to my eye, they are in the publishing business. Facebook is an enormous advertising company. It is the world's biggest biggest opinion page and the user posts are the content, the user eyeballs are the product. Right. This came up during the oral arguments, whether there is a contradiction with Section 230 of the Telecommunications Act of 1996. That law provides immunity to online interactive services such as Google, Facebook, YouTube from liability, saying that they should not be treated as publishers for the kind of user-generated conduct. And here in this case, they're claiming, well, we actually are publishers and we do have First Amendment rights. And, and Neil Gorsuch in particular, as well as Samuel Alito, kept bringing this up. But wait a second, you guys can't have it both ways. And I think Paul Clement representing that choice, I think he made a compelling argument that the Section 230 was actually intended to preserve the editorial discretion. It was kind of in a way mission that these companies are to some extent actually publishers, but Congress did not want them to be treated as publishers for the purposes of liability because that would result in, in fact, them taking everything down in order to shield themselves from lawsuits. Now, going back to your first question regarding common carriers, so there's a question of public policy, and then there's a question on law. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision basically striking down the Texas law, when that came out a couple years ago, I actually found it very compelling and leaned on the historical precedent for common carrier laws going back to the 1800s when states actually regulated and deemed these telegraph companies common carriers, because what they were doing is basically discriminating against journalists that competed with their own allies. And so states came in and said, you cannot do this. You cannot discriminate by charging higher rates and et cetera against your competitors. And actually, the common carrier, the whole doctrine actually goes back before the founding and, you know, the pre-revolutionary in England. But there's a long historical precedent for these common carrier laws. And I think that that's where Neil Gorsuch, you know, when originally 
analysts, Clarence Thomas and Lido, where they're kind of coming from. Well, what is this? Is this really any different than what was happening in the 1800s? I would make the argument, well, yes, it is. These companies aren't really like even the telegraph companies, let alone railroads or other companies that are currently can be regulated as common carriers. And that includes, by the way, now the Biden administration is now trying to regulate broadband companies under its quote-unquote net neutrality or Title II as common carriers. And as an aside, there's kind of a funny or amusing exchange toward the end in which Brett Kavanaugh, I think, who seemed to be the most skeptical of the state's arguments, had an exchange with the Solicitor General, and she was pointing out, well, right now, we think that there is an argument that telecom companies or broadband companies can be regulated as common carriers, as net neutrality, but that online platforms are something completely different, that they actually do editorial discretion. And Justice Kavanaugh, who, if you might recall, wrote when he was on the D.C. Circuit, wrote the ruling uh, striking down the title to uh, net neutrality regulations under Obama, said, well, I don't have to agree with that part of your argument, right, to buy your other part of your argument. Prelogar said, yeah, that's right. That gets to the point of there's also a public policy issue, whether or not these companies should be treated as common carriers. It's not just a legal issue, but it's a public policy. On both issues, my thinking has evolved after reading briefs and thinking about it more closely. And I think that it raises or opens up a can of worms to actually start regulating these companies as common carriers, especially to the extent that they do have you know, uh, speech rights. And then you're going to have the government coming in and saying, well, you need to take this down or you need to take that down. And if Texas and Florida, you can't take that down, you have to leave that up. And if Texas and Florida can do that, well, why can't California start doing the same? Or why can't the Federal Trade Commission? You're going to actually get more government involvement rather than less. And I think that's antithetical to what conservatives are trying to accomplish. One thing that I think about when I'm considering this common carrier argument is the idea of competition, because I understand the idea of a common carrier regulation when you have one train line going in and out of the city, or two electric companies, or three cell phone servicers. Because if you're a disfavored and unpopular person, if you cannot get business with those companies, then you don't get to ride the train, or you don't get a cell phone package. And so there's an economic reason that you would want common carrier regulation like that in place. And I grant that Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Google are big platforms, but they are not the only platforms. And especially when you think about the historical context of free speech, only some decades ago, there were basically three big TV channels. A given town might have a couple of newspapers, an alt daily, maybe a daily paper, some local magazines, and people who wanted to get a message out could send submissions, or they could go to a print shop, they could make something themselves and start to sell it on a street corner or figure out some kind of distribution mechanism to mail it out or whatnot. And that was expensive. And nobody in those days thought, well, that means that these three TV carriers or these newspapers in this town have to be common carriers and have to abide by some sort of regulations. In fact, there was the fairness doctrine that was applied to public airwaves for a while. And conservatives thought that that was a terrible idea. Kim, the other thing that I think about is it's not clear to me how these state regulations are supposed to work in the real world. So as Alicia was explaining earlier, the Florida law says social media platforms cannot use post-prioritization or shadow banning algorithms for content and material posted by or about 
a user who is a political candidate. So I read that to mean that if I am a Facebook user and I include the name of any candidate for office, or if I am a candidate for office, then I get a kind of get out of jail free card for any sort of violations of those Facebook terms of services that I might make in my post. And the penalty, by the way, in the Florida law is up to $100,000 in statutory damages per claim. The Texas law, meanwhile, is even more broad, and it says a social media platform may not censor a user based on the viewpoint of the user. And I have a hard time even understanding how that is supposed to operate in the real world. If you are sitting in Facebook headquarters, does that mean that you're not allowed to stop pro-terrorist speech, pro-Hamas speech? Or does it mean that if you stop pro-Hamas speech, Then you have to also stop anti-Hamas speech so that you're being even-handed. And who is going to be policing those kinds of things, Kim? It seems to me that you just end up delegating more power over speech to some sort of government official somewhere, maybe in the courts, maybe in a state equivalent of a federal trade commission or a federal communication commission. And some bureaucrat is going to be deciding whether that moderation policy was even-handed or not. Yeah, that's, I think, an excellent point. And again, let me stress, totally appreciate how frustrated many people are, especially conservatives, with the way these companies are currently operating. But I think one of the things that this court case brings up to us is the real possibility that things could actually be worse. And that is the scenario that you are laying out in which government might begin and Right now, conservatives say, oh, well, it's Florida and Texas, and those are governments we trust. Okay, but they may not always be in the hands of governors that you do trust. You go down the road, and as you say, this is more of a such a broad laws that government is increasingly stepping in to settle disputes, saying, no, in fact, you might not have known it at the time, but you violated the policy. We now say that it's this. We now say that it's that. And it evolves over time until you have this monster of a government behemoth making up things as it goes along. Imagine, by the way, California putting forward a law in which it decides it's going to impose its own preferences on these social media sites where, in fact, you are in violation if you allow any comments that suggest or question, for instance, global warming. But this, again, I think gets back to your point about competition. And I know that it isn't as easy or as gratifying as thinking that government's going to come in and fix this for you right away. Sometimes it takes time. But look, we're already seeing how that can work in practice. Elon Musk, who actually was quite animated by the idea of free speech in the public sphere, it's what inspired him to take over X, formerly known as Twitter. And he has made changes there. They haven't satisfied everyone, but it's certainly looking better than it used to. And he's also gone a long way toward trying to divulge to the public some of the decision-making and algorithms, et cetera, that are behind some of this so that people have a better sense. You also, just in a few years, we have all kinds of micro social media sites now, many that are organized around people's interests, for instance, hobbies or professions that people are in, that they gravitate to more. And we, I'm speaking as a parent, I already engage in competition, as it were, by being able to take and look at some of the different social media sites that are out there and say which ones I allow my children to occasionally look at, which ones they're absolutely not allowed to touch. That's a reflection in my mind of how those businesses are doing their editorial content in moderation, and they face the consequences of others' consumers doing the same. 
Hang tight. We'll be right back after one more break. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Don't forget, you can reach the latest episode of Potomac Watch anytime. Just ask your smart speaker. Play the Opinion Potomac Watch podcast. From the Opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch. Welcome back. Alicia, we'll give you the last word, but what is your takeaway having listened to these oral arguments for nearly four hours? Bless your heart. Where do you think the justices are going? And could we end up with a sort of fractured opinion given just the scope and the breadth of these two laws from two different states? Right. So I think you're going to get a very divided court and divided opinions with a number of dissents in part, concurrences in part. The inclination, I think that you definitely had Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch were very skeptical of the net choice, the internet platforms arguments. And they seem to be inclined to say, well, I think, first of all, you should have had to make an applied challenge to particular provisions of the law rather than making a facial challenge to the entire law, because maybe there are some parts of these laws that are constitutional and or as applied, and maybe there are parts that aren't as applied. And so maybe we should just kick this back down to the lower courts. And that wouldn't be surprising for those conservatives, because if you recall that they actually dissented from the high court's decision to stay the Texas law. Samuel Alito wrote a very scathing dissent in that denial. Then I think you have the Chief Justice Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh, who I thought were actually the strongest opponents of the states or critics of their argument and definitely seem to believe that the companies or the platforms have a First Amendment right. And the liberals were kind of somewhere in between. Partly, I think they're very conflicted, one, because they probably don't like this Texas and Florida laws. But on the other hand, they do like the idea of expanding government power over speech. And you saw that with their Halleck decision back in 2019, where they did believe actually that even public broadcasters could be deemed state actors and be for the purpose of the First Amendment. And, and so I think they seem to believe that the government could have a stronger role in regulating speech. So I think they're conflicted there. It's anyone's guess how everyone's trying to read the tea leaves, but it's pretty hard. And as I said, my guess is they just kick it all down to lower courts for a more in-depth briefing. Thank you, Alicia and Kim. Thank you all for listening. You can email us at pwpodcast at wsj.com. If you like the show, please hit that subscribe button. And we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of Potomac Watch. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com WSJ.